1: Six dollars ninety-five cents to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. All right, on to the program. It's time For another edition of Fighting for the Faith Monday, December 19th, 2011 Oh man I have to warn you You are going to need your tinfoil pyramid hat today I'm just saying Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. I, <laughs> if this isn't the great apostasy, I just I don't even want to know what the great apostasy is going to be like. That's all I'm saying, okay? You know. <laughs> You're going great apostasy right look it up it's it's this is if you know church history and you know your new testament um there apostasy it comes from the Greek word apostasia and it means rebellion and one of the things one of the common themes throughout church history that 's discussed by different church fathers and different folk is this concept known uh, it, it, it comes from the prophecies regarding the end times from the apostle Paul in his epistles to uh, the Thessalonians. Look it up. But uh, he writes about uh, a a great rebellion that takes place against God in, of all places, the Christian church. Now, here's the deal. I don't know if this is the great apostasy or not. All I know is, is that the, the number of apostates out there are growing by leaps and bounds, so much so that I just am... I can't keep track anymore. You know, I had to rework just—just just, was it last week and or the week before? I, you know, I'm getting old. Um, had to rework my data aggregation software. You know, so that I can drink from the fire hose. And now, now that I'm able to uh, the fire hose of the internet, now that I'm able to effectively drink from the fire hose of the internet without blowing my face off, I can. <laughs> It just the data's coming—it's coming in so fast and furious. I don't even know what to make of it half the time. So, you know, I try to break it up into different pieces that kind of logically make sense, or uh, work together with the unspoken themes that I come up with for each episode of Fighting for the Faith. Today, you know, here's the deal. So today's episode—it's oh man. Um, uh, y'all remember uh, the uh, Sesame Street? On Sesame Street, they would say, "You know, today's episode of Sesame Street was brought to you by the number three and the letter Q." Uh, Yeah, things like that. Today's episode of Fighting for the Faith is brought to you by the word syncretism. That's I'm just saying that's the uh, that's our sponsor for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is the word syncretism. And if you don't know what syncretism is, uh, I can give you a quick definition. A syncretism from dictionary.com uh is the attempted reconciliation or union of different or opposing f- uh, principles, practices, parties as in philosophy and or religion. So syncretism attempts to reconcile irreconcilable theological differences and put everybody all into you know so the idea is you know when if you're being syncretistic you're grabbing from this tradition over here you're grabbing from that group over there you're grabbing from this thing over here and you're synthesizing it and syncretizing it into your own version of christianity the problem is is that christianity true biblical christianity cannot be syncretized with other Heretical sex and false doctrine. Um, what does Jesus say? Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Yeah, Jesus doesn't use lies and false doctrine to sanctify people. It's it does it's not possible. I mean, it's, it's like saying you could take fire and water and make fire water. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. So that's what syncretism is. But so we're gonna spend the large portion of the first hour today looking at um <laughs> the latest syncretistic train wreck that is on the market and, and oh man L- let's just say that it involves some heavy names some big hitters uh, in the in the modern visible evangelical church uh, names like uh, james Robeson, uh beth moore and others so uh yeah just you know, hang on a second here. I I do think that this is in order today because of what we're doing. I've got some news stories that are not have nothing to do with syncretism, but I'm going to throw them in the mix there. But uh, here, let's, let's do this. Warning.
2: Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity for sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could
1: You know, we're just going to dive into the program here, take a look at a couple of the um, headlines that I've picked out for today. The first headline is from the Christian Post. Headline reads, Tim Tebow loses game against Patriots, but not faith. (laughs) Really? I mean, serious. Are we? (laughs) This is the dumbest headline I have heard, read, anything, In a long time, Tim Tebow loses game against Patriots, but not faith. Oh, I was so worried about that. I mean, I'm so glad that the folks over at the Christian Post have taken the time to write an entire news article to let me know that Tim Tebow is still a Christian, despite the fact that it may look like he's lost God's favor because of the crushing defeat the Broncos suffered at the hands of the New England Patriots yesterday. Give me a break! I mean, this is obnoxious. This is ridiculous. I mean, seriously, Tim Tebow is a is a quarterback in the National Football League. Quarterbacks are supposed to be known for their steely toughness. They're supposed to known for their manly brondliness. Or you know, is that even a word? Uh, anyway, you is that maybe that's a paper towel. Anyway, you get what I'm saying, okay? It, it, Guys who are quarterbacks in the NFL have been known to have bones broken, have been, you know, had their heads crushed and have suffered concussions. These are guys who get sacked, who who end up bleeding. And I'm supposed to be worried, oh, no, Tim Tebow, the Broncos lost yesterday. I I wonder if he's still a Christian. I mean, really? Come on. <laughs> I just want to scream at this point. Anyway, let's read a little bit of this story written by Anugrah Kumar of the Christian Post. He's a Christian Post contributor. Again, the headline is, Tim Tebow loses his game against Patriots, but not faith. We dodged a bullet there. Anyway... <laughs> So here's the story. Tim Tebow's Denver Broncos lost Sunday to the New England Patriots. By the way, I did pray a Broncos standstill prayer against Tim Tebow and the Broncos. And God obviously heard my prayer because of my bold, audacious faith. I'm just saying. Anyway, but the evangelical starting quarterback still thanked Jesus and said that it was an opportunity for a new setup and to make something even bigger happen. No, 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 really? 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 (laughs) It's a new setup? So, see, here's the deal. Apparently, Tim Tebow has gone into a manger experience, or he's now in a valley. And depending on how deep that valley is, it'll determine the height of his next summit. Bad theology. Anyway, after his team's 41 to 23 loss, Tebow was on one knee in the center of the Sports Authority Field at Mile High in Denver, Colorado, and as usual, he thanked God at the press conference that followed. Well, first and foremost, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Tebow told reporters, also thanking his teammates for the efforts that they played with uh, with all day, and the coaches coached extremely hard, and we kept fighting for the entire day. Tebow who has faced severe criticism for expressing his Christian faith on the field, saw the defeat as a stepping stone. I think that every time there is a setback, it's just more of an opportunity for a new setup. That sounds like he stole that line from Rick Warren. Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. sorry. Oh, man you get the point. But okay, so this is going to become obnoxious. Okay, this is really going to be obnoxious that we're going to have to take the pulse of Tim Tebow's, you know, faith a- after each and every defeat that the Broncos suffer. I, this is deplorable. Anyway, just had to pass that one along. Here. All right. Let's see here. Oh, yeah, by the way, before I go to the next news story, um <laughs> I want to let you all know that uh, we are in the advanced planning stages and writing stages of actually coming up with a uh, a Marty Python's Flying Circus Church album uh, that we will be making available sometime in the spring. We are um, it's let's just put it this way. Uh, We are writing it right now. And uh And so there's a lot of stuff that we're working on, but I did want to let you all know that, and that that will be uh, available for our crew members and for people who want to purchase it. So, but that's we're a few months out from that, but uh, just want to let you all know that. But that does remind me of something, and that is is that uh, as we were uh, brainstorming, uh, you know, uh, scripts and uh, sketches and things like this for this album, and, and there's a good chance we might have to change the name from Marty Python's Flying Circus Church to something else, uh, due to copyright. Um, we don't want to, yeah, you know, let's put it this way. It's one thing when it's a bit between, uh segments on fighting for the faith. It's a whole other thing when, uh, we're going to be, um, charging people to download an album. That being the case, uh, we're in the process of trying to brainstorm some kind of a new name for our, uh, for our satirical sketches. But if you have any ideas along those lines, if you know, if if God has given you a vision and you want to cast it my way, uh send me a send me an email uh, talk back at com. we would love to you know we're kind of stumped as to what we're gonna call this thing. But anyway, uh, we were thinking as we were brainstorming about this, one of the things that occurred to us is um is that well Joel Osteen's latest book, uh Every Day of Friday um this creates the possibility of somebody somebody being caught in a groundhog daylight vortex where every single day is a friday and we thought man that's the closest thing to hell and or purgatory depending on your view of the afterlife and uh, as a result of it uh, we were thinking you know what you know, what would it be like to be stuck you know every single day being, you know, just you know, your, your alarm clock going off and it being a Friday. Well, uh, it, this is just one of the things that uh, we, you know we kind of kicked around, but it, it would kind of go something like this. We think. Need I say more? Yeah, could you imagine waking up every single day and the alarm clock going off and that song being played and you being stuck on Friday and Saturday never arrives? Yeah, that'd be one long work week. Anyway, <laughs> moving along, uh, look, so the next story from the Christian Post that we're going to cover here. Headline reads, Unconventional pastor uses angry llamas dra- <laughs> drag racing as an outreach. You heard that right. That is not a typo. The headline reads, Unconventional pastor uses angry llamas in drag racing as an outreach. Angry llamas? I've never heard of angry llama evangelism. Have you? Well, now you have. Uh, This, by the way, is written by Michael uh, Grabowski of the Christian Post. The, The story reads, Doing outreach for a new church may seem like a normal activity. But for Michael Cheshire, senior pastor of the Journey Church in Conifer, Colorado, it would include opening a diner, sponsoring a race car, and getting shot at. It's just everyday, you know, everyday day in the life of a secret driven pastor. Anyway... These and other crazy adventures are recorded in Cheshire's new book, How to Knock Over a 7-Eleven and Other Ministry Training, an account of the experiences of the young pastor and his pals while planting a church in the rural Midwest. Man. Quote, You have to believe God is telling you to do this, said Cheshire in an interview with the Christian Post. Cheshire wrote of the projects Journey undertakes to reach out to the surrounding community. A diner known as the Angry Llama, a race car that drag races at Denver's Brandemere Speedway, and movies screening on a neighborhood football field. Cheshire also documents the bumps and false starts with each of these projects. Initially, customers at the Angry Llama told the pastors to close the diner down over the quality of its food. <laughs> <laughs> so it it was misnamed rather than it shouldn't have been named the angry llama it should have been named the angry customers anyway and some residents of the community complained that the local elk population was being harmed by the church's football field movie screenings yeah we all know how uh sensitive those Local elk can be to um, the latest uh, blockbuster movies. Anyways, quote, God sometimes just leaves obstacles up, remarked Cheshire. We have to be willing to go through failure. Cheshire described in the book the outreach efforts, both online and offline, that were done by Journey's leadership, noting the importance of the Internet for their ministry. Quote, I can't stress enough. How important the internet is, said Cheshire, who writes in his book about the first time someone truly visits one's church is when they see the web page. The second time is when they come in person. And if you want your church to grow exponentially, then you have to drag your church into the century that you're living in. Um, okay, yeah, Um. Okay, granted, yes, uh, church websites can be a good marketing tool. Um, But then again, I'm kind of of the opinion that even if your church's website doesn't have all the latest bells and whistles and doesn't use the latest HTML5 gizmos, um, and there's no widgets on it or anything like that, but it's just kind of one of those first-generation websites, that even if it looks like a first-generation website, if the person is able to click on a sermon and hear the gospel, well... That's an amazing thing. To hear God's word rightly preached by the pastor in a sermon that was posted on a website, that's fantastic, even if the website looks, well, a little archaic. But then again, if it doesn't really matter if your church's website has all the latest and greatest HTML5 widgets, bells and whistles, and if your uh, your local web developer uses the latest edition of cascading style sheets. It just doesn't matter if when they click on a sermon, What they hear is self-centered, narcissistic eisegesis, like what we're going to hear in Hour number 2 of Fighting for the Faith since we're going to be reviewing a Michael Cheshire sermon. I figured, I mean, if he's going to be getting some press, some free coverage about his book, Unconventional pastor uses angry llamas in drag racing for outreach. Well, in, in the name of his book is How to Knock Over a 7 and Other Ministry Training. Uh, well, if, I mean, if he's going to get put himself out there as a pastor for pastors, as a leader for leaders, then I mean, it just makes sense to uh, visit his website and listen into one of his sermons to see if uh, all of the design and the buzz uh, about the importance of dragging a church into the 21st century so they have a cutting-edge website really plays out in his preaching. Will we hear God's word rightly handled? Uh, probably not. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, that's the latest thing. But so, um, yeah, the question is, does, does your church use angry llamas and drag racing to help uh, you know reach the people of the community? By the way, angry llama being the name of their diner. I hope not. Anyway, so there we go. Uh, That's our news for today. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break here and pay some bills, come back, and then we're going to continue with our number one of Fighting for the Faith and, uh, and officially switch gears into this part of the program that is sponsored by... The word syncretism. So um, if you would like to uh, email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
4: Circus church. Hello, I wish to register a complaint.
1: Uh we're closing for lunch.
3: Never
4: mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh
1: yes. Uh what what's wrong with it?
4: Tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon, that's what's wrong with it. No,
1: not possible. You just preached it
4: wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes.
1: No, no, you just weren't charismatic
4: enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery, don't enter into it, it's stone dead. No, 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 you're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I shall be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous, so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, You see what I mean? This is ridiculous. Yeah. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room-temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, I never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. You, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten, and when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff, bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an
1: ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Uh, uh. Well, sorry, Squire. I have had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I
4: see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well,
1: no, not really.
4: Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it?
1: Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24 7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate
4: Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try.
1: pre-warning you cannot syncretize biblical christianity with non-biblical false heretical things that call themselves christianity that's a pre-warning just a reminder fighting for the faith this is listener supported radio that means we depend upon you your generous gifts financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to you and to the world and you can partner with us financially by visiting our website fightingforthefaith.com and when you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith and pirate Christian radio. It's a great way to support us because, uh, the, the more people that sign up, the, it levels out our giving on a month to month basis so that we can uh, properly budget our expenses, even though we're growing. But, um if of course if you would like to make a one time contribution you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to post office box 508 Fishers Indiana zip code 46038 and uh, just a reminder for everybody who supports uh, Fighting for the Faith financially during the month of December we will be sending out an email with uh, links to a ebook or kindle version whichever your preference is of uh, the pirate Christian radio version of C.F.W. Walther's uh, The Proper Distinction of Law and Gospel. This is something we've been working on for months now, updating the language. We had a, a base... Uh, translation that we were working with, and we just updated all the language, made it more readable, and i got to tell you, this is the most readable edition of this uh, particular book that I have ever read, and I've read several. But uh, that's going to be our way of saying thank you to everybody who supports us uh, during the month of December. So uh, thank you everybody who's uh, who's helping to support us. But Moving along, As promised, this next segment of Fighting for the Faith is brought to you by the word syncretism. Syncretism is when you try to take two mutually exclusive ideas, stick them together, syncretize them, and presto, blammo, you've worked all the wrinkles out. It's like taking fire and water and thinking that you can get fire water from the two. Now, this is happening all over the place, but of all places that it's happening, it's happening in American Protestant circles, and it ought not to be. Now, case in point is an exhibit that, uh, well, how do I put this? Several exhibits, several pieces of evidence uh, that uh, I received a tip from uh, Ken Silva of Apprising.org. If you haven't seen Ken Silva's website, you have to think, Ken Silva is kind of like the Terry Tate of uh, Christian discernment apologetics. He is a hard-hitting lineman and uh, somebody who, you know, when he hits, he hits really hard. And thank God for him, too. But uh, he recently posted a um, a blog post entitled James Robison, Rick Warren, working to reverse the Protestant Reformation. And there is just a plethora of things really, really, really wrong here. So, so much wrong that I don't even know how to make this next segment make sense except for to basically just take the whole bowl of oatmeal, throw it against the wall, and see what sticks. I mean, that, literally, that's about the best I can come up with on this. So to kind of key you in as to what's going on here, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about James uh, James Robison. Robison has a television program. Robison, I think, is an SBC pastor. Uh, Robison is also famous for helping to make Beth Moore famous because on James Robison's program, every Wednesdays, it's Wednesdays with Beth. And uh, we've reviewed a couple of Beth Moore's teaching um, segments on Robison's program. Now, Robison recently had Roman Catholic priest Father Jonathan Morris on his program to discuss Father Jonathan Morris's latest book entitled God Wants You Happy. From self help to God's help. From self help to God's help. And so all I can say is that if this next segment of Fighting for the Faith that we are now embarking on seems convoluted to you, that's because this segment, this hour, is brought to you by the word syncretism. And the, the, everything, the, all this convoluted stuff that you are now about to hear, well, it's all because of syncretism, because you, it's like trying to take things that can't be put together and forcing them together. Think of it as like if you were to take... Two, you know, two of the same poles uh, on a magnet and try to force them together, does that work? No, they always, they're always trying to move, they're repelled. Well, apparently folks are trying to take things that, that repel each other by definition and stick them together, and somehow we can just draw from all these different pots, theologically. Now, to kind of give, to ease you into what it is that you're about to hear, let me start with Um, Father uh, Father Jonathan Morris's book. Again, the name of the book is "God Wants You Happy, from Self Help to God's Help." Now, okay, we're all familiar with going to the bookstore. When you peruse the the local Barnes and Noble store, I don't think Borders is out of business now. So. Uh, I there's like only one or two places you can buy books anymore, uh, other, other than amazon.com. But if you were to sit down at the, your local Barnes and Noble while enjoying a, a, a latte or maybe even a mocha from the in-store Starbucks that's there and you, you brought with you a couple of books, you know, that you were considering purchasing. Let's say for instance, the friendly yellow dust jacket of, Father Jonathan Morris's book catches your eye, and you decide, you know, I, I, I want to learn a little bit more about this. So you sit down, and you've got the book in your hand, and you begin to read the endorsements. Endorsement number one. See if you can guess who wrote this. <clears throat> Quote, Father Jonathan understands that your true self is connected directly to God When you honor that connection, you honor him. And the result is nothing short of miraculous. I've seen it happen in my own life with this book, and it can happen in yours. So who wrote that? Do you know? Well, before I reveal that, let's talk a little bit about the theology of that statement there. Because whoever wrote this endorsement is making the claim that Father Jonathan understands that you're true self is connected directly to God strange language strange strange language where would we learn in Roman Catholicism about the true self answer uh, well Roman Catholic monastic mysticism and uh, those corners of the Roman Catholic church where mysticism runs rampant um, in, in the form of contemplative prayer does this sound familiar? We've done segments before on contemplative prayer. And the idea there is, is that the true self, okay, the true self um, is, a, is, a, is a part of us that is untouched by sin. I think Thomas Merton wrote about this when he said that at the center of our being is a point of nothingness, which is untouched by sin. And by illusion, a point of pure truth, a point or spark which belongs entirely to God. Thomas Merton, a Roman Catholic monastic mystic. So it's weird that here we've got this true self language being parroted back in this book endorsement on the front cover of Father Jonathan Morris's book. And it says, Father Jonathan understands that your true self is connected directly To God, this is the part of you that's apparently untouched by sin. Uh, When you honor that connection, you honor him, and the result is nothing short of miraculous. I've seen it happen in my own life, and with this book, it can happen in yours. So, who wrote that endorsement? Answer, the Mormon, Glenn Beck. (laughs) You're going, okay. Yeah, so, okay, God Wants You Happy is the name of the book, written by a Roman Catholic priest First endorsement, the most important endorsement, because it's on the front cover, is by Glenn Beck, talking about a Roman Catholic mystical pra- uh, concept known as your true self, which we learn from Roman Catholic mystics who are into contemplative mysticism and centering prayer and things like that. Okay, next endorsement. Okay, this is on the back cover. This is on the back cover of Father Jonathan Morris's book, Here's the quote. Let's see if you can guess who wrote this. And this might be a lot easier, by the way. Quote In this wonderful book, my good friend, Father Jonathan Morris explains exactly how God, through the word of truth, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit can transform your life in ways that no self-help book can do. Read this book and begin the journey of transformation. So who wrote that sentence? Let me read it again because there's a dead giveaway really early on in this endorsement. In this wonderful uh, book, My Good Friend, that should be your tip-off. Okay, There's only one guy out there who constantly makes a point of letting everybody know that he's good friends with people. In fact, when uh, uh, Christopher uh, Hitchens died, uh, well, uh, this person made a point of letting everybody know that my good friend, the atheist, Christopher Hitchens, has, has died. So the answer, by the way, is Rick Warren. So, again, we've got a book entitled God Wants You Happy, written by a Roman Catholic priest named Jonathan Morris, the primary endorsement coming from the Mormon Glenn Beck discussing your true self, a concept which comes from contemplative mysticism in the Roman Catholic Church and guys like Thomas Merton and others. And the second endorsement above note is from Rick Warren, who says, quote, in this wonderful book, my good friend, Father Jonathan Morris explains exactly how God, through the word of truth, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit can transform your life in ways that no self-help book can do. Read this book and begin the journey of transformation. Oh boy. um, Okay. Yeah, keep in mind, this uh, segment of Fighting for the Faith is sponsored by the word syncretism. All right, so now that being said, let's spend a little bit of time listening to uh, Father Jonathan's interview on James Robeson's uh, television program. Um, Yeah, here we go. (laughs) By the way, James Robeson being the guy most famous for making Beth more famous...
3: We're so glad to see you, and we're glad to see you. Welcome to Life Today. I'm James Robinson. Betty and I are thrilled to have a Catholic priest, Father Jonathan Morris. Now, let me just tell you something. Here's a book that he's written, God Wants You Happy. And, and this uh, Catholic priest knows the source of happiness is joy. And that joy comes from a relationship of the Lord Jesus. And, and I'm telling you, this man is a blessing. I want you to welcome Father Jonathan Morris to life today. Would you give him a welcome? Thank you very much. I'm glad to see you. you. Now, I, I I've told you, I you. I've, I've told you personally uh, and on more than one occasion, and i just sit in front of the whole world. I watch you on on Fox, and you'll come on many of the different programs. You're on Fox and Friends a lot in the morning. They'll have you on oftentimes during special uh, holidays or or let's say Christian seasons, whether it's Christmas or Easter. And then they'll ask you questions at various times of the year when there's some question that comes up of a theological nature, biblical nature, or a spiritual nature. In their opinion, and sometimes they don't really know the spiritual from the secular, but they they think that they, they try. So they the try.
2: Question. They do their best.
3: Whenever you're on, and I'm just telling you straight on, as an evangelical, as a Protestant, every time you talk, every time I see you, I see Jesus. Mm, when you. you open your mouth, that what you say is so consistent with the Word of God, with the heart of God with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ that I marvel, and I've, I've often said I wish most Protestant preachers had the sensitivity and discernment and gift to communicate that you have. Don't you agree that you see Jesus Amen. in this wonderful man of God?
1: So apparently uh, Father James, uh, Jonathan Morris, is, um, well, he's a walking Jesus. How do we know this? Well we've got the endorsement of James Robinson now by the way um let's let's just take a look and see if we can determine how good James Robinson's discernment skills are when it comes to identifying you know true Christians and false Christians um <laughs> so here uh this is um James Robinson discussing Glenn Beck.
4: Welcome back to Face to Face. We're continuing this interview with James Robinson. James, I'm uh, interested to go back to a statement you made a minute ago about your uh, relationship with Glenn
1: By the way, this is Dr. Mark Rutland of Oral Roberts University, ORU, having a discussion with uh, James Robinson regarding Glenn Beck. Beck, uh,
4: he's certainly one of the most extraordinary voices in in television and media
3: today, no matter what you think of him, uh, he, he's a lightning rod. <laughs> well, it's, I want I to won't believe it's uh, uh, the capacity maybe to capture lightning uh. and turn it into energy, like energizing light so you can see more clearly. I've had the privilege of talking to Glenn personally and then sitting in a, in a setting similar to this uh, where I could actually look into his eyes oh. and, and they, they were not... Uh, see, that's how
1: you can tell if somebody's a heretic or not. You look them straight in the eyes. Forget about what they believe, teach and confess. You just look them straight in the eyes, and if you, and when you're looking through, you know their eyes, you know in into the retina.
3: If you see Jesus reflected back, well, then you know they're a true Christian. Without tears flowing freely out of a legitimate concern for our nation, a love for the family, an understanding of how fortunate he is to have come out of addiction, and then looking at our nation and warning us to. Uh, uh, come back to sanity and to our senses mm-hmm. and to our to our really our our spiritual roots and our foundation. And I did say to Glenn, you are the single most gifted person in media today. Mm-hmm. Period. And and very unique. And your broken heart and your legitimate concern, as well as the respect you're showing people who've paid a price to learn. I don't know if you've noticed. And Notice he's not talking about his, what he believes, teaches, or confesses. People who watch him some, how he respects academics, intellectuals, people of a different stripe, people who would not be part of his ch- church group, but he honors them. And wants to allow them to share out of the, the resources that have so often been ignored by a twisted worldview that really denies God and the basic foundational truths and principles that made us great. Glenn has, uh, is as receptive as anyone I've ever seen. And I've been asked, well, what about the fact that he's a Mormon?
1: Yeah, you know, he believes that there was a time when Jesus didn't exist, probably uh, bazillions and trillions of years. And then he was conceived when uh, Heavenly Father had um, intercourse with one of his many spirit wives near Starbase Kolob.
3: I believe that, that in the time when he went through alcoholism and uh-huh. Alcoholics Anonymous and others, yeah. people in his life, he found a sense of security that his children enjoyed in that fellowship. He has a great respect level for it. My, my word to the Christian community is, is exactly what God has said to me. I love Glenn.
1: Oh, so your word is what God said to you. So James Robison, God told him
3: something regarding Glenn Beck. And as a person, he, he said it openly when he and I've talked. And when we talked on air, you and I have a different perspective where we are now. But he also said, I'm pursuing truth all the time. Mm. And so I believe, because he says he loves Jesus, I believe Jesus has come into his heart.
1: Okay, so that's James Robinson basically saying that uh, God told him this, and he has a word to share with everybody else, that because Glenn Beck loves Jesus, that Jesus has come into his heart. Hmm. Weird, and yet he never cited a single thing that Glenn Beck believes regarding Jesus. It's just that he's able to put the waterworks on and cry on command, and he has a broken heart. And James Robinson was able to look him in the eye and know, because God told him that um, he's a true Christian rather than somebody else. And, of course, Jesus came to live in his heart yet yeah, that's weird language um not really biblical um the second corinthians chapter 11 comes to mind starting at verse 4 the apostle paul chiding rebuking if you would uh the church in corinth saying this for if someone comes and proclaims another jesus than the one we proclaimed Or if you received a different spirit than the one you received, or you accepted a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I'm unskilled in speaking. I am, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. By the way, he's not praising them for accepting a different Jesus and a different gospel and a different spirit. This is a rebuke. Because Paul later in the book of Galatians, in his epistle to the churches in Galatia, says that if anyone, even if we or an angel from heaven were to come to you and preach a gospel other than the one you already received, let him be eternally damned. So, okay, so this tells us something about James Robison's discernment skills. Apparently he has a, he has the inside track with God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit personally told him after he looked into the eyes of Glenn Beck that Glenn Beck has Jesus now living in his heart, despite the fact that Glenn Beck believes in the Book of Mormon, believes that he's going to be a God someday. If he that of course if he's able to attain to that level, but that's what he's striving for. That our that God the Heavenly Father, Elo- Elohim, was once a man as we are now, and he became a God through obedience to his God, and that Jesus is actually the spirit brother of Lucifer. Um and oh and yeah, and that Jesus was conceived when Heavenly Father had conjugal relations with the Virgin Mary. So, but that, that, don't get hung up on any of the doctrinal details. God, the Holy Spirit, told James Robinson personally that Glenn Beck has Jesus living in his heart. Just didn't care to explain which one. Okay, so that's, that's who we're talking about here. James Robinson now is giving his full endorsement to Father Jonathan Morris. In his book, God Wants You Happy. And he knows that Father Jonathan Morris is a true Christian. Despite the fact that he's a Roman Catholic priest.
3: That's what I'm I'm appreciating every time I've seen seen you on Fox. is because
2: there's a a calmness and a peace, Mm. but a sureness, too, of where your beliefs come from. And it's just evident that God is first. Can I say something to you all? It takes a lot of courage, quite honestly, for a Protestant, evangelical, Baptist, I don't know what you call yourself, James, but to have a Catholic priest on, and I know that you do it, not because you believe every single theological thing that I believe, and we would probably have some disagreements on things.
1: Yes, you know, like, you know, how the Roman Catholic Church of the Council of Trent anathematized the gospel, you know, things like that, you know, prayers to the saints, the veneration of Mary. Um, that, uh, basically exalts her to goddess status that, uh, you know, that she's a co-redemptrix with Christ, uh, you know, things
2: like that. Um, mm-hmm. but you said it, it's about the person of Jesus Christ. And if you can have the courage, James, to have a Catholic priest to talk about things that we care about, I can say, let me tell you, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and savior. And what
1: does that mean?
2: Are you a Pelagian? You don't hear many Catholics say it because we don't know how to say it. We're not used to saying it. We say, well, I was baptized. Like, I can't remember it, you know. But but you know what? So much, we have so much in common. But we have one person in common, yes. yeah. and that is Jesus Christ. Mm. And we have to work together, and we have to have courage to work together no matter what anyone says. Mm. Father Jonathan, what are you doing going on in that life today? <laughs> we got a quote from James Robinson, 1975. <laughs> you know? He didn't like those Catholics too much.
3: Oh, God, forgive me. <laughs> you know what? public confessional
2: (laughs) but i think we all know right now that the world's problems today are so much bigger than our differences and we have to have courage not we have to have courage to solve the
1: world's problems that's not what the church has been commissioned
2: to do because we're perfect but because we have a God who's perfect and who loves us and has a plan for us and that's why we're here today
1: God loves us and has a plan for
3: us and this is a purpose-driven Catholic absolutely and then, and I just I've told I've told this to you I, I chewed Billy Graham out for having Catholics in all of his meetings and uh, <laughs> I even chewed him out for having Pentecostals and Charismatics and you talk about Baptist but I was Baptist, blood, bread, blood, <laughs> Glad i over God. here. Scary, it's scary, it's scary. I think I used to scare God a little bit. I used to tell people I, I, I put so much fear of hell in them, nobody wanted to go there. I just scared the hell out of them. And just you know, here's the thing: God and really Billy Graham is the one that that he asked me, "Do you know these people you're talking about and telling me to stay away from?" Them. And I didn't. And, I, I, and I've said this, and if you watch me, you've heard me say this many times. We don't know
1: him. By the way, I know a lot of heretics, personally. Some of them I consider to be my friends. And I would never, ever recommend or endorse any of their theology to anybody. Not even my worst enemy, lest they go to hell. Whether or not somebody's a nice person is not the determination or the determining factor when it comes to knowing whether or not they're telling you the truth when it comes to God. The question is, does it square with what Scripture says, what God has revealed about himself?
3: As well as we should because we refuse to know them. Mm-hmm. And as a result of us not knowing one another and even being an answer to the prayer of Jesus, that we be one. We've not learned as well as we should. And, and Father, listen, I have, I've developed such wonderful relationships. I've got to be honest with you if if catholics evangelicals protestants if we would just come together on common ground Mm. you talk about a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden you talk about a city set on a hill that could light up the way the world should walk and reveal the way not to walk as well as to walk i think it's going to happen i want you to tell me what, what do you want people to hear when you think about God wants you happy? Because I know you, you know it's beyond frivolity. It's not, yes. it's not triteness. It's not trivial. Uh, it's not hip, hip, hooray. There's some depth here. That's what you communicate. What even you even
2: if the book is yellow and, in the, and, and a smiley face looking. <laughs> you know, it's, the subtitle of this book is From Self-Help to God's Help. And there's a self-help industry out there that has a lot of, I would say, pearls of wisdom. But unfortunately, this industry has cut itself off, has divorced itself from the origin of true happiness. (laughs) And so, yes, we can help ourselves, but we can only get so far. And then the grace of God has to intervene. And what I, you know, on... Grace-powered happiness. Hmm. On Fox News, on other secular uh, media venues, I, I look at mostly... Ethical issues, as you mentioned, James, right? Social issues, political issues that have meaning for our lives as families and as individuals. And what I try to do is help people take, as we were talking at dinner tonight, baby steps, Mm -hmm. right? Baby steps to understanding truth, and goodness, and beauty. But there's more to it than taking baby steps. There's something called walking, and there's something called running in the presence of God. And what I try to do in this book...
1: Something called running in the presence of God?
2: Huh. Haven't run across that one in the Bible yet. ...is to help people to go through, specifically through the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, and begin to live in the presence of God through living faith, through living hope,
3: Uh,
1: living faith in
2: whom? For what? Through living love. And God wants that for us, and he wants us to be happy because he wants us to flourish on every single level of our existence.
1: Really? God wants us to flourish on every single level of our existence? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Yeah, Um, I'm having a hard time with that because Jesus promised. We actually have a promise from Jesus. It's weird it doesn't get circled by people like Mark Batterson. It says, in this life you will have suffering. Jesus promised that because people hated, the world hated him, that the world would hate his Christians.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Suffering included, of course,
3: but flourishing with that spiritual joy that you talked about, James. Well, you exemplify it. I mean, you really do, and I'm not. I have no reason to just try to be patronizing or just say, "Okay, well, this is the kindness of the evangelical Protestant to the Catholic." <laughs> I, I am telling you that that I, I believe that that I'm going to get to see and be a part of Jesus' prayer for us to have a oneness with the Father and to see a perfected, perfectedness and perfection coming from a supernatural unity and the world know we're his disciples because of our love
1: really a supernatural ecumenicism protestants and catholics all shining together on the hill
3: that i think i'm going to get to see that and 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 just knowing you the little exchanges that you and i've had really in the last weeks has been really quite remarkable and 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 i'm i'm thankful now you 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 said in our conversations that you've seen some things in what you, you hear in my expression that encourage you. You know, um, I, I, on the plane here
2: today, I uh, read from cover to cover this the manuscript that you sent to me of your new book, Indivisible, and I'm reading and I'm blown away. I'm saying, you know what, here we have, and I think you wrote it with, with the a Catholic. With, the Catholic. with Jay Richards. Jay Richards, and I'm reading, you know, here we are evangelical, well-known pastor. Writing about things that I would write about Here I am a reading a Catholic who helped you writing about Evangelical things that I need to learn Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we need to help each other Absolutely, and and you know what James? I think the center of this book is showing that the God-given God-given gift of faith Where's the origin? Well, it's God-given. It's from God. But we also have a God-given gift of reason. And that gift of reason, when it is well-formed, when it's not polluted by all the junk that's out there on the media, on the news, when we purify it, helping each other purify it, that gift of reason goes together with that gift of faith, and there are two wings upon which we can fly towards new heights. And if we're doing it together mm-hmm. as evangelicals and Catholics, Christians, anyone of goodwill, I believe that our country uh, can take steps forward and we can gain, not looking back, remember when? Back in the 60s or 40s or 30s. No, how about the 2020s? Yes. Uh, right? We can yes. do it.
1: So apparently, I mean, there was no need for the Protestant Reformation.
2: Who knew? And I believe there's a there's a evangelical Catholic movement that's going on yeah. right now. Not only two groups coming together, but Catholics who are evangelistic mm-hmm. in, and evangelicals that are going back to traditions and finding the best of it
3: and not being afraid of it. Absolutely. It, do you like hearing what you're hearing? I'll say thank God. Thank you, John.
1: Re- you know, weird, because I consider myself to be an evangelical Catholic. And I'm creeped out by what I'm hearing. Yeah, I I consider myself to be an evangelical Catholic with a small C. Can't seem to get past that little historical speed bump where the Bishop of Rome abrogated power to himself that is not given to him in Scripture. Where in the Council of Trent, the Roman Catholic Church anathematized the gospel. Where the Roman Catholic Church has a twin authority structure of God's word and tradition. Tradition basically being the smuggling junk drawer by which they're able to bring in all of their other false doctrines that undermine and impugn and really do away with the biblical gospel. Prayers to the saints, things like that. Think of indulgences. You yeah, know, I, I can think of other practices too, but you get what I'm saying here. So apparently, I mean, who knew all it took was for a Roman Catholic priest to appear on TBN, on James Robison's program, and now, I mean, all these theological, you know, know—they're just differences. But let's talk about our common ground. All that can just be swept aside and, you know, the Protestant Reformation done away with. Who knew? Anyway, to, again, this, uh, this today's edition of Fighting for the Faith this hour is uh, brought to you by the word syncretism. Now to kind of can you know to continue with this concept of syncretism, I I thought I would play for you a uh, well a Beth Moore, um, quote you know Beth Moore being good friends with uh, James Robinson, and her basically quoting Carmelite Roman Catholic monk Brother Lawrence uh, here, here listening, Brother Father.
2: A true lover of God once spoke about practicing God's presence. To me, that's such a part of contemplative prayer that we are able to absorb the reality that as we commune with God through prayer, that he is with us, that his spirit for those of us who are in Christ fills us, that we are drawn near to him, that our souls
1: Find rest in Him. Okay, so uh, Brother Lawrence, a lover of God, according to Beth Moore. By the way, uh, Beth Moore on her cur- uh, currently on her website, and you can find this at lightsource.com If you were to go to Wednesdays with Beth Moore, um, th- th- their current uh, featured offering is uh, from a gal. Uh, well, actually, Sarah uh, Sarah Young is her name, and the name of the book is Jesus Calling. Listen to this description. As a missionary, Sarah Young listened to and wrote the loving words Jesus placed on her heart. Hmm, She gets direct revelation from Jesus. The result is a devotional journal of comfort and encouragement. After years of writing her own words in her prayer journal while serving a mission, Sarah Young began to listen more attentively to God's voice. As Jesus spoke, she listened and began writing. In this powerful devotional journal, Sarah shares Jesus Calling out to readers with words of comfort, peace, and encouragement. So the book that uh, Beth Moore wants everybody to be reading right now is the their featured book of the month, Jesus Calling. Apparently this uh, gal by the name of Sarah Young hears directly from Jesus. I mean, the reality is we need to take Sarah Young's direct words from Jesus and, you know, and make room for them in the back of our Bibles, because this counts as direct revelation coming directly from Jesus. So we're to honor this and believe it as if it's the very word of God on par with Scripture. Yeah, anyway, you get what I'm, where I'm going with all of this, and I think I've arrived. There's something terribly wrong, terribly wrong in Protestant American evangelicalism. And that thing that's terribly wrong, it's called syncretism. Apparently, in our postmodern way of looking at things, truth doesn't matter anymore. Uh, it, it, basically, doctrines that are in conflict are just brushed aside as, as minor differences. And instead, we rather than focus on those, we can celebrate our common ground together and work together to become a beacon of city shining on the hill so that we can all be one big, happy, unified body of Christ despite the fact that we all believe different things regarding who Jesus is and what he's done for us what the nature of man is and what the solution to the problem is doesn't matter doesn't matter we all can just say that we all love Jesus don't sweat the details like the apostle paul did in second corinthians chapter 11 and in if you know if you need more words from Jesus don't worry beth moore is endorsing a book where you can get more words from Jesus directly, these newer words, I'm sure, will smooth out a lot of those wrinkly doctrinal theological differences that have only worked to divide us rather than unite us. So, again, today's theological word that is the sponsor of this edition of Fighting for the Faith is the word syncretism. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition Or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith You can do so at my email address talkback at Talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com Or you can ask me my friend on Facebook It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter My name there, Pyre Christian. We will be right back Sermon review time From the folks who bring us angry llama evangelism Yeah, you don't want to miss it We'll be right back
3: We don't need to rethink Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. good the bad the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via the journey church in well right now they're meeting at conifer high school in aspen park colorado pastor presiding over the sermon his name is michael cheshire he's the author of the book How to knock over a 7-Eleven in other ministry training. (laughs) Well, you know, with guys like him, it ensures uh, at least some kind of longevity for the need for what I do here at Fighting for the Faith. Good night. It's weird to think that there was a time when people would take the ministry seriously, considered a high holy calling, Anyway, the name of the sermon is In Another's Shoes. This is part two from the sermon series entitled In Another's Shoes. Pay attention to what he's going to do with scripture here. Um, he's going to pull a stunt similar to what we saw Stephen Furtick do. Take the story of Jesus' road to Emmaus. Ignore what the, what the text actually says. Make stuff up twist it and make it about you or me. This is um, another example of the rampant epidemic of um, narcissistic eisegesis going on in the seeker-driven movement. Tell you what, let me just kill the music here. So without any further ado, here um, here's the sermon entitled, In Another's Shoes, Michael Cheshire Presiding. Here we go.
2: This presentation is brought to you by the Journey Community Church. You matter to God, you matter to us. For more information about the journey, visit us online at journeyfoothills.com. That's journeyfoothills.com.
0: Church is pointless without a relationship with Christ. It is the single reason that uh, churches divide. Okay, I got
1: to (laughs) agree. If you're not a Christian, if you have not been to repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, church is pointless. But doesn't that completely undermine the entire seeker-driven attractional church paradigm, literally? I mean, right from the the get-go, at the beginning of this sermon. Church is pointless without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. So why would you do church for the
0: unchurched? Hmm. And don't get along because a lot of times we're looking too much for rules instead of a relationship with Christ. Heath actually works for our church now. And, uh, we've had a lot of conversations. It's funny that they filmed him in the, in front of the fire. Cause that's where Heath is all the time. And, uh, His story is a really interesting one because he had to leave church to find God. He had to leave religion to find Christ. A lot of times we get so caught up in our religion that we forget about our relationship with Christ. And as the holidays come, and as Christmas comes, it's easy for us to kind of lose sight of who Christ is in our life. It's really interesting how many of us uh, just try to Survive the holiday. Who Christ is? That's where
1: the sentence should have ended. Who Christ is in our life? Not even
0: familiar with that biblical category. Days. That you? Are you counting the days, trying to get through? No. Nobody's going to admit it, right? Because your wife is right there. Your kids are home. No, I'm going. That's great. They're here till the second. I was done with church. Is how he started that. It's a very common tale. If you have your Bibles, you can open to uh, a pretty non-church story, and it's in Luke twenty-four. And I'm going to re- please flip on over there to Luke twenty-four, read some verses out of this, and it's a story of uh, after the crucifixion, Jesus is uh, is before he started really showing up places. The women have found that the the tomb is empty, and they start telling everybody. And the disciples, they go and they look and they say, "Yeah, it's empty," but Nobody has seen Jesus. And there was a lot of fear that somebody had stole the bodies like the, the Jewish leaders may have stolen it. Because they didn't want to turn this into something. Uh, they didn't want the disciples to steal it and say he was raised from the dead. And in Luke 24, verse 13, it says, Now that same day, two men, two of them, it was the disciples. Uh, these are the 120. The, there was a lot of disciples. There was 12 main ones, but there was 120 that used to follow Jesus. They were going to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Okay, now I'm going to point something
1: out. He read the verse that explains it. Why did the two guys on the road to Emmaus, who were disciples of Jesus, why is it they didn't recognize Jesus? Answer, the text just said so. They were kept from recognizing him. The Greek basically says their eyes were held. Their, their eyes were held in such a way, miraculously, they weren't able to recognize Jesus because a miracle was being uh, done. They were supernaturally being kept from recognizing him because Jesus had some
0: teaching to do. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen visions of an angel who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found that it was just as the women said. But they did not see Jesus. And as they approached the village to which they were going... Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. And he, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, giving thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked? with us on the road and open the scriptures to us. These two guys get up after this story, and they go straight back to Jerusalem that night. And they show up in a room with the disciples, and they go, okay, dude, he's back. And there's some debate if they're telling the truth or not, but it kind of goes away real fast, because who pops into the room? Jesus. How would you like to be having a conversation with somebody, and they just disappear in front of you? that keep you up. that give you a seven-mile trip back. But it was interesting that he was there at the beginning and they didn't recognize him. He said, hey, what's going on? And they were walking, and it was such a grievous thing that it happened that they stopped walking and they stood there. Uh, you read in the text that they were
1: kept from recognizing him. That's what the text says. It wasn't because they were grieving, it's because they were kept. Their eyes were held. They go, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, you, you don't know what happened? The whole land knows what happened, man. Where have you been? They were too focused on their disappointment and their problems to see the truth. No, they weren't. The text says their eyes were held. You read it. And Jesus began to explain the scriptures how the prophets had said this was going to happen how he needed to die and their hearts burned in within them but they couldn't see Jesus they just kind of knew what he was saying was true um
1: do you know how to do i exegetical preaching you know to cuz you know you read the text that's the first part of doing exegetical preaching you read the text stick to it and let the sentences, the nouns, the verbs, the grammar dictate what you say about the text. You don't get to wander off on your own. You're, you're, with each sentence, you're wandering farther from the text. It makes me wonder if you're doing this on purpose so you can put your own meaning into
0: it rather than the meaning that was given to us. It's very easy during the holidays to stop seeing Jesus. And did you see problems? Or Oh,
1: yeah, it's really easy to stop seeing Jesus. Um yeah okay great that's fine and all but again if you stick to the text you'd realize oh yeah wait the reason why they didn't see and recognize Jesus is because their
0: eyes were held for issues or time problems i had a friend send me a video this week from a church that he pastors and he uh he sent some guys out to read the christmas story uh it was beautiful but he put them at a busy intersection and so as they're telling the story, there's cars, uh-uh! and I thought, man, that's good. I said, dude, I'm going to steal that. He said, no, so I didn't show it today. But the Bible tells us to make ready our hearts for the king. Is your heart in a good place for Christmas? If...
1: Oh, miserable question. Is your heart ready for Christmas? Tell you what, it might get ready for Christmas if you preach about Jesus. Tell you what, you start preaching about Jesus, and I'll let you know how prepared my heart is for Christmas after hearing an
0: entire sermon about him. If you knew that uh, this afternoon that God was going to appear to you at your house, he wanted to take a tour of your home, he wanted to take a tour, would you leave now? Would you get home and start cleaning up? Are there some books and movies we maybe even put these away? Me, me and Amy, we get invited to people's house who don't really know us sometimes. And we went to this one people's house. And when we got there, they were very, very, uh, they, it was a last minute second thing. It's was a couple years ago. And they, uh, they started walking through the house and going, ah, these aren't our movies. And the guy was just like pulling out all the bad, the things that I thought I, he thought I wouldn't like. And he started, books. this is all other people's stuff, you know. <laughs> And if we're going to make our hearts ready for Christ, then that means maybe there's some junk in our lives that we should start kind of taking inventory of. And the key- Okay, law. Okay, fine. Why
1: don't you preach the law rather than making light of it and just using, well, iffy, sketchy movies as just a, you know, kind of a throwaway example. Why don't you open up Exodus chapter 20 and let the law do its work? Starting with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, right? Honoring your father and mother, keeping the Sabbath day holy, not coveting, not stealing not committing adultery, not bearing false witness, you know, things like that. And don't just look at the outside somehow saying, oh, well, don't worry if you've never actually physically murdered somebody. No big deal. You've never committed the crime. That's not what the command means. Because murder begins in the heart. Adultery begins in the heart. Coveting is a sin of the heart, right? It's not enough just to have good behavior. The good behavior has to be prompted from the correct motives. And when you start digging with God's law about those motives, you find that none of us measures None of us. It's interesting that, okay, we're going to start with the law in preparing for Jesus showing up at our house. That's probably the right way, right place to start. But when you've done that, you're going to realize you've come up short. And here's the deal. Do you think that Jesus doesn't know that just because he hasn't physically taken a tour of your house? Jesus knows
0: everything
1: whether he's physically been taken through the tour of your house or not.
0: King wants to come to our home. He wants to visit with us and know us. And even though we know he's omnipresent, if he physically showed up, we'd be like, oh, okay, I meant to mop this. Um, that's awkward. Maybe I wouldn't have that, that out. Are there things and behaviors in our life, character flaws, maybe that we would change? In Luke 2.14, character flaws. I mean, just, yeah, if we knew Jesus was coming, we'd just, you know, just straighten those right up. Right. Remember the angel was announcing the coming of Christ, and he said that, uh, and the angel said, Jesus has come to bring glory to God, peace on earth, and goodwill to men. And the truth is that we're supposed to be God's ambassadors. We're supposed to emulate Jesus. Do you all know that?
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. you are familiar. There's a biblical text that talks about the responsibilities of us ambassadors of Christ, right?
0: We'll get to that in a second. Let's keep going here for a second. No, yes. Okay, um, let me teach you. Yes, we are supposed to emulate Jesus. The way he came to earth, the the way he lived is what we're supposed to do. The Bible calls him uh, our chief cornerstone. When they used to build things in ancient times, they would have a cornerstone. How many of you have ever been to a bank and they have like a. Okay,
1: hang on a second here.
0: <clears throat> okay, let's talk
1: about ambassadors. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll start at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, you'll notice here that uh, we've got a problem, okay? Our good pastor from The Journey there in, a- in Aspen Park, Colorado, is preaching behavior as if your behavior is the gospel, and it's not, okay? This text which is a text that clearly teaches about our ambassadorship isn't talking about our morals being the gospel or the means by which we are ambassadors. Listen again. Let me and I'll keep going because there's more to it. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So if you're going to be an ambassador, you've been entrusted with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, And God is making his appeal through us, so we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice that the ambassadorship, we've been entrusted with the message, the message of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not holding men's trespasses against them. We have been entrusted as ambassadors with the message of the good news that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and by his shed blood on the cross, he pardons sinners. Now, that's what the Bible clearly says about our ambassadorship. We've got a problem here um, with this pastor, and what's the reason why? Because he's making the grounds of our ambassadorship somehow our self-righteousness. Believe me, your self-righteousness ain't the gospel, nor is it at the grounds of your ambassadorship. Listen, we'll continue.
0: A plaque on the corner of the building, and it's all the big donors. Yeah, that's a cute little representation of what a cornerstone was. You know, a cornerstone actually never went into the building. They would make one perfect stone, they would measure it out, and they would use what are the string things? Plums, bam, there you go. I'm not allowed in Home Depot very often, so. And they would make this one stone perfect, and then they would go and hire two or three hundred. Stone workers, and they'd say, "Make it just like this one." So they would get to come and bring their stone and put it down, and they'd say, "Well, it's a little t- tall here, a little short here," and they'd fix it. Once it was approved, it would go into a stack, and they would get paid for that stone. Now they never said, "Okay, well, they look pretty close, so let's move the good one off and then put this one here." What would happen over a hundred stones? You'd be like, "Wow, that looks totally round." Why? You ever tell somebody something, and then it comes back to you, and it's like, "Not the same story." You could say, "You know, me and my wife got in a little bit of argument, and you know, I didn't like mint jello, and you know, your family calls you three weeks later. "Hey, I heard you were hitting your wife with uh, mint jello, and you went to jail, and you're getting a divorce over Jello now." Well, that didn't happen in one conveyance of the story. It just keeps going. And so what a cornerstone is, we're supposed to keep comparing our life to Jesus. So that's what... You keep doing that.
1: How, how, how's the comparison come back? How close are you to, you know, looking and acting exactly like the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who, by the way, takes away the sin of the world?
0: Not so good, right? We need to do before Christmas is go, am I living my life the same way Jesus lived his did I come...
1: Easy. Answer, no. Why? Jesus is sinless.
0: I still have a sinful nature. Come to br- Do I bring glory to God? Do I bring peace to earth? Do I, Do I bring peace to earth? Oh, good night. Uh, apparently,
1: I'm the Christ child. I had no idea.
0: Do I bring goodwill to men?
1: <sighs> That's... <laughs> What is it with these seeker-driven guys? They are, I mean, seriously, this is another case of narcissistic eisegesis. Now the Christmas story is about you being the gift that brings peace and goodwill to men by your emulating Jesus' righteousness. This isn't the biblical message, and this is not the gospel, and this is not Christianity. This is something different.
0: Because it could change your whole view of uh, the holidays. What does it mean to bring glory to God? See, those guys, they couldn't see Jesus because they were distracted by disappointments and frustrations.
1: No, they couldn't see Jesus because
0: their eyes were held. Do you know how to read Greek? The problems, they were heartbroken. And we can go all the way through these next few weeks and not see Jesus at all unless we take the blinders off. Bringing glory to God helps us see God more clearly. Glory means to give honor or or admiration. You ever admire somebody? I worked in a tour boat company, and we gave tours, and a lot of uh, famous people would come on. And you know what you know when you get around famous people a lot? They're just like you and me with big egos. Well, I mean, sometimes my ego matches it. but uh, And it's funny because they have little clingers to them who think they're as famous as that person, I'm with her, so, okay. I'm not talking about looking up to a famous person. I'm talking, do you ever admire somebody, and do you ever tell them that? There's a pretty well-known Christian author who, I just love his books, and so uh, a few years ago, seven, eight years ago, everything that he wrote kind of just pertained to me. How many have one of those guys who, like, everything they say, like, oh, that helps me so much, And I thought, you know, this guy's a best-selling author. I'm just going to write him and thank him. I wasn't expecting anything back. And I just said, I just want you to know what a difference you made. I admire the way you write. I admire your honesty of being authentic in your books and and talking about your own struggles. I admire that. This guy wrote me back. He was so thankful. You think my, my like of him went up or down? Why? And I realized, you know what? The same guy, I've read a lot of criticism about him. And I thought, man, I wonder. I mean, critics, trust me, I'm in the business. Man, they write way more than the positive people. The critics will write letters and explain the 19 things you did wrong. But the people who really love you, a lot of times, stay silent.
1: Isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the ones who really love you will let you continue in your sin and false doctrine. And the ones who are haters, they're the ones who are going to say, hey, wait a second, that's not what squares with the word of God. What you're saying isn't true. Yeah, it sounds to me like you got this backwards, dude.
0: It's so funny, we do that in our own families. Well, we love each other, but we really point out the negatives more than anything else. Admiring God is a big deal. Bringing glory to God is a big deal. When was the last time you brought glory to God? I uh, I rec- define it. How do you do it? Christmas cards to all my family and friends, and every year I dread it. There's a big stack of them. Notice at this point, the
1: text that he began this sermon from was the Road to Emmaus story, where Jesus explains how all of the Old Testament is written about Him. Right. And now we've, well, we've jettisoned the text, and now it's all about you or him. Let's continue. It's not about Jesus.
0: And I, you know, my friends list is growing, and I'm like, <sighs> got to keep a distance so there's not so many cards, you know? And I do, I go, ah, you know, and Emily's my sister, she's like, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do I'm like, leave me alone. So one day I just decided to do it this week, and I sat down for four hours, and I started writing cards, and you know what? I ended, I started going, ugh. I ended realizing how blessed I was. Because you would have to think about each individual person and go, man, I love this about, this card's not hard to write. And then I'd get to the next person and go, oh, well, this card isn't hard to write. Why? Because I'm thinking for that, I have to think and put something down in a real word. I have to show them honor. And so all of a sudden I start remembering all the good. Man, I felt like a worm at the end of four hours. It's like you were dreading this? We have to focus on God the same way. Otherwise, he's just this being. So what's worth giving God glory for? How about the fact that God cares for us? Matthew 10 has this great thing. Jesus says, you know, two birds are sold for a penny, which is not much. He says, but not one of them falls from the sky that I don't see. And I love you so much more than a bird. I know how many hairs you have on your head. I care about you. And maybe you're hearing you. you've been a Christian for a long time. Let me just tell you something you may have forgotten. God cares about you. He cares about the big things in your life. He cares about the little things in your life. He cares how people treat you and talk about you. He cares about the sin and the character issue you have.
1: That's right, and that's why the scripture says that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Sinners like me and like you. We're
0: going to hear about that. He cares about you. He is rapidly involved in every part of your life, whether you see him or not. He guides us. He directs us. John 10 says this great thing. It says, he calls us by name. He knows who we are. He says, if you'll listen to me, I can make sense out of your life.
1: Ah, uh, Yeah, you got a verse that says that? Where in the Bible does it say that if we listen to God, God can make sense out of our life? Not familiar with that passage. Was that in John chapter
0: 10, by the way? I'll walk with you your whole life. If you abide in me, I'll bear fruit through you. There's nothing you can't handle. But if you get away, it's going to be a pretty distant relationship.
1: Oh, no. It's long-distance girlfriend relationship, Jesus.
0: The fact that God can guide you is an amazing thing. He can make you better than you are.
1: Wow, that's amazing.
0: He makes me make better decisions.
1: He makes me make better decisions, yeah run that one by the apostle Paul, whose life, from the point of view of the world's success, would be an abject failure. This is a guy who was whipped, flogged, beaten, run out of town, nearly you know murdered several times by angry people whom he preached the gospel to. You know he was arrested in Jerusalem, beaten yeah you know, he was shipwrecked, and he was at you know at sea for you know, things like that, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he suffered from um, not paying attention to Jesus'
0: good decision-making advice. Like, what do you think I should do? When we planned this whole thing out with the building, I was like, well, you know, we have a lease, man. We have one more year. That's great. It's almost to the end. And it was God's prompting in the middle of talking with us. I mean, not to get super spiritual about it, but in my time of prayer, I, I, I saw this picture in my head. I know some of you are going, okay, here we go. But I saw this, like, ship, you know, like with the sails, and it had cannons on it, and it was in the middle of a fight with another ship. Hmm, sounds like the pirate Christian radio, um, you know, ship that I captained. Oh, okay. But in, it, in it, the ship was our church, and the top of the ship was just, the deck was covered with stuff. And God just asked me at the time, he goes, is this church going to do war? going advance or are you a merchant ship which one is it
1: did, did you go to um patricia king's glory school is that where you learned how to have dreams and visions like this i mean I, i'm you know i'm asking you straight up because this sounds like something she'd be saying
0: you're top heavy i'm in the middle of a storm and it's rolling around we need to get some of this stuff off just throw it off the deck get rid of this stuff uh, what what stuff again? Because you're
1: uh, you're exegeting a dream. I
0: was like, man, but oh, we have a lease. He's like, well, go talk to him. Yeah, but what if? And then God goes, you know, I'm God, right? I can sort. Really, God said that. Okay, sort all this out. We were in this guy's office for seven minutes, and he goes, "I'm a fan." Okay. I'm like, well, well, that was easy. Man, God will make you smarter than you are. He will make you more loving than you are. He will navigate you through problems you think you'll never get through. God wants to guide you your whole life so that when you finally end up...
1: Isn't it great to have a God who'll take a supporting role in my life movie? Wow.
0: Taking your last breath, he's going to say, well done. God is my co-pilot. Good and faithful servant. You listen to me and we navigated life together. Some of you are trying to go it alone.
1: D- does that, d- for those of you who are my Reformed Calvinist uh, brothers in Christ, does this sound like it's contrary to the doctrine of uh, the sovereignty of God to you?
0: so alone. You're not listening to him, and he's yelling and screaming at the end of the runway, don't do this. When you have an integrity issue that props up at, at work or somewhere.
1: Uh, yeah, an integrity issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have integrity issues. I have sin. I have, a sinful, I have a sinful nature that I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. It doesn't have just character issues. It's like rotten to the core.
0: And God says, put it down. Don't do this. This is, this is not ethical. This is shadowy. When you start to have thoughts and habits that can destroy your family, he goes, put that down.
1: No, he does better than that. He dies for it. He forgives it. He bleeds and suffers for it. God's justice is satisfied. The wrath of God is averted. Big difference. You see, remember, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against
0: them. When we begin to neglect people that we love and that we shouldn't, he will say, turn the TV off. Go sit down with your kid. Go hug your husband. Stop all this. And the reality is, it's very easy to hit the snooze button on God. And he'll keep talking our whole life. He'll never stop talking. Recently, this last year, I had some struggles that I was going through just, just in, 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 my, in my heart. They weren't super big issues. They were just tiny little issues. And
1: right. Yeah, because you know, that's how God views our sin. Just, you know, little tiny issues.
0: I was getting discouraged about some different things. And over a two week period, God began to say, you know, you need to share some of this with your friends. And uh and some always little, do that. A little group therapy, God recommended. That was awful kind of him. Cause a lot of my friends work with me and and a lot of them are key leaders and Lay leaders in the church, and so I don't share a lot of times. Because i got to look strong. Because we're going to take hits, and I'm the one who has to take the hit. And God told me, I wrote down in my journal, he goes, you know, if you wear armor too long, it'll start chafing. That helped me. Anybody ever chafe?
1: Yeah, I've never, had, I've never suffered from a, an episode of armor chafe. Hmm. I'll, I'll keep that in mind next time I put my armor on. Make sure that, you know, maybe I can find some kind of a, you know, a chafing balm or something. You know, does bag balm work for armor chafing?
0: When I was in shape, I tried to run this like a uh, triathlon. It was a little one. You know, you swim, and it was on South Padre Island. You swim, and then you bike, and you run. And I'm fine with swimming. I'm pretty buoyant. I'm part Cuban, I think. You know, I could just float on over. No, that wasn't a racist joke. Say what you want. Those are the most buoyant people on earth. They get on this. Let's go. <laughs> and I'm fine running. But that bicycle, uh-uh. That seat damaged me. <laughs> I ran the whole race. <laughs> I'm just happy to be off. And you know what I did? I In a meeting, I just... I just took off my armor. I said, I want to tell you how I'm feeling. I want you to know I'm not crazy. I'm just a little irked about some stuff. And I just shared. I just, yeah, here it all is. And it was nice having friends who said, come on, tell me how bad it is. Tell me what you're mad about. Tell me what you're frustrated about. Just sitting around in the living room with some friends. Oh, it fixed all that, man. But God had to
1: send me to them. So, God sent you to your friends for some group therapy. Wow, Hm. Mm. What exactly was the point of reading that biblical passage again? I'm, I'm curious because I'm not seeing how it fits with the rest of this sermon where you're telling all of your little life anecdotal stories. Are you bringing glory to God? Again, tell me how to do it. I, I can't answer the question and tell you, it, give me some definitions here. Because intuitively, can't say I know what you're even talking about.
0: Do you have no real answer right now for that? Has it been a long time since you even thought? Let me tell you something. We think sometimes as Christians that God exists to make us have an easy life. You need to understand that he's worthy of a lot of honor. And a lot of praise. Oh,
1: I'm sure he is. Could you explain that from the biblical text so I know why it is that he is worthy of honor? I agree. He he is. Why don't you talk about all the things he's done for us in Christ? Because that, I think, will
0: motivate people to want to honor him. And he's worthy of having conversations that you just can't necessarily sing? Worthy of having conversations. What... What's the cash value of that sentence? This room is filled of stories that never happened because God was looking out for you.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. It's, It's the land of unbirthed stories. Oh, man, that sounds terrible. Is it
0: as bad as hell? The truth is we could all praise God for sicknesses we never got, for accidents that never happened, for things that never went wrong that we'll never know. How many of you have, as little kids, you had your kids like run out into the street or something, and you grab them, and you know how bad it is because you just pause, and you're like, oh, they don't. Let me down. That's us with God. Give glory to God. He brings peace on earth, and that opens, when we bring peace on earth, that opens our eyes to God's power.
1: Yeah, and notice what he just did there. He brings peace, peace on Earth, and then he went, whoa, 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 when we bring peace on Earth, uh-huh, yeah, it's Jesus who brings peace. He's the prince of peace, the alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Not me, him.
0: First Corinthians 13 is one of my favorite scriptures, and it talks about the supremacy of love. Love is the most powerful thing. Love is it. It's the I Ching. It's the sum of all wisdom.
1: The what? Did you really say that love is the I
0: Ching? Oh, boy. Love never fails, it says. I read of a story of a woman who, a man, he was adopted, and he was from Korea. Uh, the family that adopted him found him. It was in a snowy day, and they were crossing a footbridge, and they heard a baby cry. And they went under the bridge. And they found this baby wrapped in its mother's clothes and the mother who had taken every bit of her clothing off to wrap it around her baby put herself around her baby boy and froze to death, protecting him. That's love, man. Don't tell me love isn't more powerful than war. To lay down your life for a tiny baby
1: Okay, you're steering really close to the gospel. Let's talk about Christ laying down his life for us, for our sins, raised again for our justification, him being pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Let's let's hear about that. I, I don't know if he's going to go there, but he seems to be heading in that direction. We'll see if he gets there.
0: It's a father who will go to prison to visit his son every single week for the rest of his life. Because his son is there for doing something horrible and he'll never be let out. He can't just shrug his shoulders and move on because that's his little boy. That's love. It's when a family takes in another family. Because they lost their house, because of the economy and the job loss and when they say, just come on until you get on your feet, we'll take care of you. Love has the power to change the world. That's what bringing peace to the world does. How are some ways you can bring peace to this world? I'm getting aggravated now.
1: How are some ways that you can bring peace to the world? You, you talk about sacrificial love and you don't bring up Christ's sacrifice for our sins on the cross. What kind of Christian pastor are you?
0: This Friday we went out for my anniversary because I we put it because the parade was on the same day. So, and uh, my wife uh, is she's man she's very gifted at shopping. And um, I'm seriously, if there's an Olympic sport, you know she can mentor you. And uh, so we went out and we did a couple things, and, and I thought, man, I'm you know, good. And we ate, and she goes, Do you love me? Which is always a bad question. Because, yes, I do, but that's basically saying, You want to prove it? And she says, uh, I need to go to the mall. Now, let me tell you where the mall ranks for me. I like dentist's office better than the mall. People think because I do this for a living, like I'm a. I'm an extroverted person. I'm not. I've taken the test. I'm massively introverted. I, I have to be like, yay. Most of the time, I just want to be left alone and hide. She takes me to parties when I don't know anybody. Oh, it's the worst. I just find a closet to hide in. So I was like, you know, hey, yeah, man, let's go to the mall. She's like, you know, you don't have to. She goes, I'll just run in. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> so we went to the mall, you know. There's a Cinnabon there, you know. I'm not allowed to eat it, but I can smell it all day. You seen the size of those things? And so I thought, hey, I can get some shopping done. And I'm I'm always looking for Sterling, our worship leader. He stands out because he's as big as me. And um, he... uh, Thank you, Amy. And uh, Sterling is a Buffalo Bills fan. And so I was looking for something... That would be like, they don't sell a lot of Buffalo Bill stuff in Denver. I was looking for like a tissue box because, oh, he's crying all the time. (laughs) I thought that would be good. And Amy goes through every store, every kiosk, every store, and then does it again. Looking for that perfect deal. And uh, so it was funny because we started having a conversation in the mall. I said, you notice you can tell the ones who are the owners and the ones who are the employees. You go into some stores, and they're like, you know, help yourself. You know, you're like, hey, do you have like a red one of these? Like, is it on the shelf? Is that an owner or an employee? Oh, yeah, right? What do I care? I get off in an hour. i got to get a Cinnabon. But I went to a sports memorabilia store, and I said, listen, you know, I said, I'm looking for a Buffalo Bills fan. He goes, oh, Why? (laughs) <laughs> i'm like no no it's not me it's not me it's all, it's all good okay just making sure it's for a friend and He's like okay right and uh so i said you have anything buffalo billsy he goes i wouldn't put that stuff on my shelf but i'll check in the back man wait right here so he goes to the back and he's digging around he finds some stuff you know he's like here and it's really horrible stuff you know because it has the buffalo bills logo and he wraps it up, and he's like, I'll just, you know, I ought to just give this to you, you know. And uh, he starts talking about, uh, man, and let me." he starts talking, and he's like, well, that's a great friend that you pay money for something this horrible. And, you know, he's a bit Broncos fan. We talked about Tebow, and, you know, so, and, you know, he's like, you know, he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, I'm not a Christian, man. I hate God, but, you know, you know, I'm, I'm glad for Tebow. And he goes, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh. I said, it's cool. God's cool with you. likes you and uh, so at least you believe in him because you can't hate something you don't believe in he's like well you got me there buddy Uh, it was this great moment right but he was like he was just like this knife and everybody there he's like hey i'll be back with you did you tell
1: him about jesus christ dying on the cross for his sins
0: the employees kind of fed on this and it was like the happiest store and then you go into the other stores and there's just people reading and they don't care we went to one store and these two ladies. What exactly does this have to do with the road to Emmaus again? I'm confused. Are having an argument over something that they want to purchase. And all these other employees are just watching. <laughs> you know, I always feel like I have the mediator. I'm like, hey, you know, maybe there's another one here, looking there. And I start helping. Like two minutes later, they're like, do you work here. I'm like, no. But nobody wants to see this fight, you know? You can bring peace to earth if you, if you take it as, like, this is yours too.
1: You can bring peace to earth.
0: You can. Weird. You're the Messiah. If we're, if we're owners in the calling of Christ, if he gave us stewardship over the earth and the fullness thereof, maybe we should act like Jesus and not like the employees. No? Maybe we should just get involved. When we get involved when people are having arguments in public, I do all the time. I have an advantage. I'm bigger than most people. You know? I always try to go, hey, hey, somebody need a hug? That usually disengages the whole thing. <laughs> but I'm not proud of living in a world where when people get in arguments, we all just stare and gawk and hey man, we're peacemakers. And sometimes peacemakers have our arms up going, woo woo. Can we chill for a second? People are angry. People are frustrated. People are tired and overworked and underappreciated. And sometimes we we need to distribute dignity back to people. Hey, you don't want to do this, man. That's just silly. Maybe we get our wallets out and say, let me just get this for you. Hey, let me let you cut in front of a line. My wife, every store we went to, because we had to go to, after that, it was Hobby Lobby. Oh, First of all, she buys 9,000 things there, and the baskets are the size of this. You ever notice that? They need bigger baskets. So I'm pushing nine of them like a train. And everywhere we go, my wife looks for short people. I have a big husband. Do you need anything? She makes me carry stuff to people's car all the time. She'll just go, ah, uh, that lady. C- can my husband carry that? I'm like a pack mule for her. And you know what they do? I get to the car. I'm carrying all this stuff. I'm putting it in there and whatever. They turn around. They go look to my wife and go, thank you. I'm like, excuse me? She's like, go on the car up, Michael. Be a kind driver.
1: Yes, changing the world one kind driver at a time. That's what Jesus was all about. Look at you. All the men are looking down.
0: Can I ask you a question? What's going through your head when you're on the highway and somebody's trying to merge in and you decide to put them in the wall? What part of Jesus is? Where's Jesus in that? That's hockey player Jesus. It's called checking against the boards. Duh. You know? You an Indy car driver? Uh, if you let him in, you're going to lose? <laughs> Somebody let you in? Let me show you something that we learned in the South. Ready? Thank you. Come on, everybody wave. One time. I know Colorado people are like, no, nah, I don't do it. Hey, it's nice. Thanks.
1: You- yeah, apparently the solution to our sin is just doing nice things. Yeah, yeah. That's the, I mean, who knew it was so simple all along? I had no idea what Jesus had to die on the cross.
0: Usually, when you wave up here, it's only uh, one finger involved. Show them all of them. Hey! As silly as it is, guys, it brings peace. How do you know you're not the one person that calms the situation down, that they don't go home and beat their wife? You don't know that. Bring peace to the world. Say kind things. Checkers, you know, when they check you out. They're not happy with 900 people. They get paid the same if there's two people in line or 400 people in line. Why don't you be kind? You hear how many people get snippy with them? Like it's their fault? Well, that's not what it was priced as. And I know you price everything in the store and do everything. (laughs) I apologize for people. They leave the line. I'm like, hey, I just wanna say, hey, I'm sorry that people treat you that way. This is a tough job. Oh, it's okay. Call them by their name. That's why they wear name tags. Hey, Ruth, how you doing? Sometimes they have names I can't pronounce. Like, hey, girl.
1: (laughs) Again, what does this have to do with the Road to Emmaus story where Jesus told us how everything in the Bible is written about him? Yeah, apparently we're way off track now.
0: Do you understand what I'm trying to get at here? Let's be. Pe- no, I really have no clue. Peacemakers, let's bring peace to the world. You can do it. it it's powerful. It's fun. It's it's what we're supposed to do. The- R-
1: really, the way to bring peace to the world is to wave at people in traffic, to apologize for people in the checkout line. Oh man, yeah. See, I I missed this the entire time. Who knew it was so simple? I mean, world peace is within our grasp. It's just one random act of kindness away.
0: The Bible has this great scripture. Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers." You know what they'll be called? Sons of God. You're never more like your father than when you bring peace. You just, just- Yeah, do you think that has to do with
1: random acts of kindness or You know, declaring to people the ministry of reconciliation, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. We now have peace with God because of Christ's shed blood on the cross. We've been called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. You you see the, the peace thing that's going on there? It's not random acts of kindness that make the world just that much more livable. But it's addressing the real problem, our sinful rebellion against God.
0: Just like God. That means for you to bring peace to the world, you have to be a peaceful person and you have to forgive some people. Great. Okay, sure. Yeah, I think
1: forgiveness is an important biblical category. Why don't we start with the forgiveness of
0: sins? I think you can do this. Come on. Let it go let unforgiveness go recommit to some relationships again press the reset button start over do you understand that unforgiveness take it out of christianity altogether unforgiveness they've done studies on it you will not live as long oh no oh that's terrible
1: um um, Can we talk about forgiveness and unforgiveness in light of the cross, please? Because it doesn't really make any sense at that point. Because you're, you're talking about taking unforgiveness out of Christianity. You seem to have removed Christ, which is kind of the bigger thing.
0: Forgive. Give it to God. And the last thing is to bring goodwill to men opens our eyes to God's heart. I'm gonna lose it. I I am literally gonna lose it. The gospel is what we're supposed to bring to mankind, and it's it's a that word means the good news. Okay. Whew. We might have an opportunity here for Pastor Cheshire to land
1: on his feet. The gospel means good lo- news. Y- yes.
0: God has good intentions towards man- mankind. That's the
1: good news. <laughs> That God has good intention towards us? Isn't the road to hell paved with good
0: intentions? May not seem like it. If you let ABC, NBC News explain it, it doesn't look like God's happy at all. You need to understand how powerful this was to hear this scripture in the time that Rome ruled the world because they had a lot of gods and the idea by most of the gods was to appease them because you just not, didn't want them mad. They were never going to be happy with you. But every time a bad thunderstorm would come or a flood or a fire, they way, well, somebody's ticked off. Kill some bulls. So the idea was let's just keep God appeased. And to hear that the God has good intentions towards mankind, that loves us, that doesn't see us as ants, but wants to come and dwell amongst us. Wow. This was a revolutionary thought. Why did he do that?
1: Hmm. Can you please mention the cross here? Because God's wrath was propitiated by the shed blood
0: of Christ, to a, bunch of Christ uh, to a bunch of Jewish people who had never thought of God that way. At this point, they only had the Old Testament. And God dealt with problems pretty interestingly, with fire and lightning and plagues. Oh, my. <coughs> Do you bring goodwill to man? Do you tell people about him? One of the things as Christians that we're required to do is to help other people about Christ. Now, if we had a...
1: Call me cynical, but you don't seem to be doing that. And you're a pastor. Don't you think you should be setting the example? You know, maybe obsess about him and his word and what he's
0: done. A private little vote here. 95% of you would say, that's not my gift. And the reason we say that is because that can put you in an awkward situation. I'll even start it. Ready? I'm uncomfortable witnessing. Has anybody ever felt that way? Is anybody with me?
1: It's obvious you're uncomfortable preaching Christ in your sermons too. Okay.
0: I do this for a living. That can be an interesting place to navigate but I was uncomfortable with it for a long time because I saw how other people did it and it was uh, horrible. It was lurching at people. And we glorified the loud guys in our church who were like, man, I just tell people how it is. I've said this story before, but it's one of the most traumatizing places in my life. I was in a restaurant with a guy who was known as our evangelist guy in our church. You know, lubies. you know what a Luby's is? 9,000, 80 year olds there, and me, and this guy. And he's like, Man, you just got to be bold. I said, Yeah, but I, I was having my debate about how to win people over to Christ instead of just being like this loud person. He goes, Ah, no, I just tell him. And he stands up, he gets on his chair, and he gets in this, and this restaurant is packed. And he goes, I'm in love with a man. I'm the only one sitting at the table. Hey, man, we all got to forgive people in our life. (laughs) And I just thought, and just so you know, I mean, nobody came over and goes, man, just tell me about this man. Nobody did that. (laughs) They were all like, let's move to the other table, you know. But what I found over my life is that God has changed my life so much. He's changed my friend's life that I... I do. I want people to know God. I don't even care if they come to church here. Man, if you would just let God into your life, talk with a friend who I've known for years. If you would just
1: let God into your life, what a lame, powerless God. Serious. <sighs> Are you going to preach about Jesus or not? I, I you know, I just, cause you know, he, here you're, you're now a leader among leaders in the seeker driven movement. you you got press in the Christian Post. You got a book out there trying to explain to guys how to do what you've done. And what you be doing and ain't preaching Jesus. What's Christian about this sermon? I'm supposed to bring peace to the world? I'm supposed to bring goodwill? I, apparently I'm the Messiah. Jesus is all about the angels announcing me to the
0: world. Really? who's not a Christian. And the last conversation I had with him a few weeks ago, you know what I said? I said, you know what I wish? I wish you would just give God six inches of daylight. Just open the door a little and say, if you're real, show me you're real. Oh, it could change your whole life. I have a friend who, when he was going to college, he worked at a lumberyard and I met him after I became a Christian.
1: By the way, I sent this out as a tweet over the weekend and I'm sticking to it. If your primary R- arguments for Christianity are personal experience and life change at the end of the day you're ultimately arguing for polytheism because every religion has stories of people who've had life transformation personal experiences and life change as a result of their religious involvement in whichever religion you're talking about it doesn't matter if it's Buddhism Islam Jainism, Sikhism, uh, you know, Christianity or whatever doesn't matter. Every religion has stories of people who've had life change, life changing experiences. Ultimately, if this is your this is your big gun, you're arguing for polytheism.
0: Church, and I, you know, we were all talking about how we, you know, how we got saved, and and. He said, I was loading lumber. Saved from what? I one time for this guy. It was an older man. And uh and uh he he said, he goes, Hey son, you know, and because usually they wait for tips. So the guy gave him like two dollars for loading up all this lumber. And he said, uh he got in his car or his truck to leave, and he goes, he just as he was shutting the door, he kind of got out and he goes, Hey, I want to tell you something. Hey, God thinks about you. And he said, I went. Okay. Like what we would do. Even though we're Christians, people say, all oh, I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he, he said, no, really, he does. And he goes, okay, that's awesome. Thanks, buddy. And he's turned around to start leaving. He said, he turned back around and he goes, just so you know, this whole week, this next week coming up, every time you remember this conversation, that's God saying, I really do. He's thinking about you. That's how he's going to remind you. And so he gets in his car and leaves. My friend goes, yeah, you know, whatever. He goes, funny thing, man. Every hour the next week, I thought of that old guy. He said, I must have seen that guy's truck in this town 20 times. He goes, the next week I walked into a church for the first time. He goes, it took me months before I believed all this. But he goes, I, th- I couldn't stop. You know what that man did? He gave God a seed, and God said, I'll smash it in the ground, and I'll grow it. That guy does ministry now. The whole course of his life changed because of that. Because somebody was brave enough to throw that seed. And let me tell you something. When he told that guy, you know what the guy did? <laughs> the question I guess you have to ask yourself is, is Jesus really worth following for the whole world? Now, the question I want to know is, when was he brought to Repentance
1: and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. I'm not hearing anything even remotely related to that. Weird, because Jesus in Luke 24 said, go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. Not, you know, life change or or transformation or, you
0: know, things like that. Weird. Just you. See, either he's a great God... And he loves everybody. And what he says is right and good and true and pure for everybody. Or he's not good for any of us. That's why I have friends who are Buddhists and Muslim. I talk with these guys. I'm fine laying the Bible next to any other religion because, honestly, I looked at all of them. I, have, I believe in the scriptures that I have a monopoly on truth. Okay, and what does that mean? Because it's about a
1: relationship. With God, <sighs> yeah. Then, the, funny, the Muslims say, "I have a relationship with Allah." It's not quite the way same is as, as what you're experiencing. Who, I mean, seriously, Christianity's true not because of life change or an experience that you've had, or even some personal relationship you think you might have. It's it's true because of an empty grave. That's why it's
0: true. There's a woman in this church a year ago for our Christmas Eve service had a friend who said I just want you to come experience this one time and she kind of relented and they drug her into church and two months ago she gave her life to Christ after being here a lot of months and yet the gospel is the good news that Christ gave his life for us doesn't this sound backwards to you she said this seems real and genuine and and good And her friend didn't know how to witness, so she said, I'll just bring you to church and maybe they can sort it out. That's all we're asked to do. Can you get people close enough to God so maybe he can just have a run at them? Do you think God can help them? Do you think God can give them hope? Hope for what? See, in the video, Heath had to secure his own relationship with God before church made sense to him. He had to secure it. I thought Christ secured it. He emailed us a year before he ever walked in the door Hey, thanks for those podcasts. I'll come to your church sometime. Forever it took him to get here. And he didn't come in all like, Yeah, this place is awesome. He took his time. He asked a lot of questions, an inordinate amount of questions. Almost too many questions. (laughs) If you're religious and you don't really know and have a relationship with Christ, no church you go to is going to make you happy. But if you have a relationship with Christ, it doesn't matter where you go to church, you're going to love God. Yeah, it
1: does matter because if the pastor's not preaching Christ and I truly am a Christian, I'm going to be aggravated beyond all belief. If I really am a Christian and the pastor isn't feeding me God's word but twisting and mangling it and making it about me or himself when it's about Christ, then I'm going, to be, I, I'm going to have some serious problems with that
0: church. Because Christ is the one who makes the difference in our lives. Those guys on the road to Emmaus, they couldn't see Jesus. Because their eyes were held, they were too blinded. To see him. No, they were miraculously kept from seeing him. Because Jesus doesn't look the way you think. A lot of times we look at God and we go, where are you in that situation? And he'll say, where are you? I gave you hands. I gave you a few extra bucks. I gave you the ability to do something. Where are you? It's easy to pass by. Get a job. How many of you ever see the... People on the side of the road with the little cardboard thing, and you'd go, Wow, they probably live in a mansion. Really? You think so? I'm not saying that people that go panhandle aren't, have their issues, and they're gonna go buy drugs or whatever. But do you ever think that this is where they wanted their life to end up on the side of a road? And you feel like you're doing some kind of social justice by denying them 50 cents? Did Jesus heal hands that might steal? Did he heal eyes that would lust? Feet that would carry them to sin? Did he? How is it that we find our way out of helping people so easily? How is it that you so easily remove Christ from your sermons? I'm curious about that. Sitting in this room, you may not be the richest person in the world, but I promise you, get on a plane. I'll take you some places. Fly with me 10 hours, and I'll show you poverty like you can't imagine. We are rich. As bad as our country is, we are wealthy. God's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He's not a Libertarian. He's not a Tea Party member. You know what God is? He's God. And the laws that we follow are supposed to be God's laws. And his law says this. You help other people when it's in your power to do so. And at Christmas time, we pass those people ringing the bells. We pass boxes where they need toys for hurting families. Hey, in this church, we have people who need help. Are you willing to get involved? For some of us, it's been a long time since we looked for God. When me and uh, my family first got here, we didn't really know anybody, and that's an understatement. We knew nobody in Denver. And so we had to find a lot of fun stuff to do. My wife was still like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to live here, and so I got to meet people and do stuff with her, One of the first places we went, we got a membership to the Denver Museum of Science and Natural History. And somebody had told us that there's, I don't know, how many of y'all ever been there? Anybody? You know those sceneries behind all the animals? The guy who painted those, they wouldn't let him sign his name, and it kind of ticked him off. So to kind of show him, in a bunch of them, he painted little elves. Did you know this? And so somebody told us that, and I was like, ooh, let's go look. And so we looked everywhere for like two hours, you know. By this time, I was like, ah, this place stinks. We couldn't find the elves. So we went out to the front desk, and I said, you know, do you all know? And they said, yeah, we can tell you exactly where they are. And I was like, oh, okay, so we know. Now we're not just looking at one that doesn't have an elf. And so we would go to the one, and, and I'd say, okay, there's for sure one in here. And then slowly, usually Amy, would go, oh, I see it. And we're like, where is it? She's like, I'm not saying. we're like, oh, come on. Oh, then it was exciting, man. We knew it was in there somewhere. And we would go to the next one, and we just knew it was in there somewhere. Because it doesn't tell you exactly where it is. It says it's in this exhibit. And they're little, man. And every one we went to, oh, we would find it. It was so much fun. I thought about that this week when I thought, in every situation in the holidays, God's in there. Sometimes we just look at something and go, ugh, God's not in this. No, he's in everything. He's in that uncomfortable place that you're at at work.
1: Is it me or have you noticed that um, this guy's message is as truly Christless as Ian Lawton's sermon from last week? I mean, Jesus was mentioned, but I mean, you don't even need a real Jesus for this.
0: He's in there. He's in that family dynamic and relationship. He's in there. And if you will look for God, it can make your life extraordinary. It can be fun. God can use you. He'll say, "Let's walk with me. Let's bring some peace. Let's bring some goodwill, and that'll bring me glory."
1: So God is glorified when you have an extraordinary life. Hmm. This is the gospel of purpose-drivenism.
0: We're not supposed to be spectators. Christianity is not a spectator sport. There's no bleachers. It's just the field. And you got to get on it. It doesn't count if you're not trying. If everybody else needs to forgive, but you don't need to, then you're a hypocrite. If everybody else in the world needs to show love, but you don't, then you're less than authentic. If people like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates need to give money away, but you don't because you don't have that much, you're a hypocrite. And the truth isn't in us. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And you know what we treasure? We treasure our money. Where is it going? We treasure our time. Where do we spend it? We treasure our family. Some of us need to open our homes to other people for the holidays. We did for Thanksgiving. We had a lot. This is all just heavy-handed
1: law. No gospel. If you ain't doing it, then the solution is you need to do it. No forgiveness of sins. Here is chastising you and your need to forgive, but he hasn't even spent any time explaining God's forgiveness won by Christ's blood on the cross.
0: Weird. A lot of people around, and it was awesome. It was so much fun. Can you open your heart just a little this holidays? Can we show Jesus through our actions
1: that we're followers of him? Why don't you show Jesus through what he did? You know what, you know what the disciples recorded because the disciples were obsessed with preaching about Jesus, read the gospels, read the epistles. They're all about Jesus. And then Jesus tells us that all the old Testament's really about him. So
0: why don't you tell us about him? And if somebody would watch you for this next week, not hear anything you say, if your life was on mute, but they just saw your behavior, would they come away going, there's something different about that person? Or would they come away and go, hmm, are you a disguised Christian? Or are you the, the real deal? Do you believe in Jesus? Believe in him for what, a moral example? Do you believe you should tell other people that he brings hope in life? What kind of hope in life does he bring? You haven't explained any of that. Or is it just a game? Because if it's just a game, I'm really okay with telling you. You know, you don't need to waste your time with this. Don't pretend.
1: Try harder or don't waste your time. Law, law, more law, and more law on top of your law. In fact, here's the police coming to arrest you for not keeping the law... What'd you do with the gospel, by the way? I mean, you keep telling about uh, our need to forgive, but you haven't talked about the gospel. You mentioned it in passing. Oh, yeah, the gospel's good news. But you didn't tell us what the good news was.
0: God cares about you this morning.
1: Yeah, he, just, he, he cares so much. You better get busy, get cracking. He cares. he cares about you the way a taskmaster cares about a slave.
0: He cares about you and he loves you.
1: Loves you the way an employer loves a you know, minimum wage employee. Get cracking.
0: God's doing something. Yeah, that's right, and you better get with the program or else. In this church, in this community, in our country. You know what was funny? I read about 20 articles this week about Tim Tebow because, you know, he's our big guy now, right? You know what I love? People get so mad about it. Hey, at least we're having the conversation. I'll take it. At least we're talking about God. I love how some of the men go, man, he should not be winning. I mean, sometimes you're like me. You can be a big Broncos fan. You see him throw the ball, you're like, oh, wow, that was really bad. Is it possible that this guy who just, after God, that's why I'm a fan. He's an underdog. You know it was interesting? Some of the articles, other Christians started taking shots at him. Other Christian athletes started going, Oh, he's too much about God. Really? I'll take anything that starts the conversation about Jesus Christ. Because I believe to the core of my being that he loves everybody.
1: That's great. Can you explain what that means? That he cares about everybody. Can you show us an example of
0: it? May I give you a suggestion? The cross. And I'm asking you to go out and and do likewise and bring peace on earth. Fair enough? No. Well, this is where I would normally ask you to stand and I pray. But I think that before you stand up today, I think you should pause for a second and decide the first action you're going to take. Don't warning all of Colorado about your heresy and lack of preaching
1: Christ. It's first action I'm going to take in loving my neighbor.
0: Don't just let this turn into a sermon. And we all go, oh, yeah, some funny stories, oh, Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Decide now how you're going to either bring glory to God today, how you're going to bring some peace on earth today.
1: By preaching the gospel to the people you refuse to preach it to
0: how you're going to bring goodwill to man. Okay?
1: Going crazy here. Luke chapter 2. I've got to get this out of my head. Because this guy is using words from the Christmas story about Jesus. And somehow it's now about us. It's this narcissistic Jesus thing is bugging me down to my core. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior the angels announced him as a savior this is this this language is about jesus it's not about me doing anything for unto you is born in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising god and saying Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go to bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found mary and joseph and the baby lying in a manger and when they saw it they made known the saying that they had been that had been told to them concerning this child And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, why? Because unto us is born a Savior. That's what Christmas is about. You ain't the Savior. You're not the one that brings peace to the world. Jesus Christ is, and you are a herald of the good news that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not holding men's trespasses against them. But God's wrath was propitiated because Jesus Christ was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, for unto us is born a Savior. When you engage in narcissistic eisegesis and you dethrone Christ out of the biblical text and put yourself into them, you are engaging in a game created by Satan himself. You are not God. You are not peace on earth. You are not the bringer of such things. Jesus Christ is. And God is glorified because Christ is exalted. Christ is proclaimed. Him and him crucified is preached. And men are brought to repentance in the forgiveness of their sins. You preach anything else and you are engaging in literally narcissistic idolatry. And that's what that sermon was. And he's saying, well, Chris, you seem a little bit exercised. Yeah, I am. Because I am hearing this crime being committed in church after church after church after church this Christmas season. And these pastors are preaching people and themselves into hell. You're so vain- I bet you think the Bible's about you, and it's not. The Bible is not your life story. It's the story of Christ. Get over it. It's not about you. It's It's about what Jesus has done for you. And that's it. And if you don't want it, then move along. Get out of the church. Stop changing the message. It's not about you. Anyway. Before I spin out of control, I'm going to have to sign off. Just a reminder, this is listener-supported radio. If you don't already support us, visit our website, click on one of the friendly yellow buttons, or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address is talkback at com. Or you can ask you to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious, penal, substitutionary death on the cross for all of your sins. That's the good news.
0: Amen.